Good morning, first service. So um, we are kicking off a new series today called Worship in the Word. And so this next uh, five weeks, we're going to be hitting some disciplines that we call spiritual disciplines. There's more than five, but we picked out five that we want to hit. And for graduation Sunday, we're hitting study. Yeah, who's excited? Yeah, we're going to talk about how to open the Bible and read the Bible today, all right? So uh, if I don't seem as energetic as my normal self, it's because today's more like of a classroom lecture. And yes, because that totally says me, but we're going to try it this morning, okay? Um, next week, I'm excited as we go through this series, um, we're going to talk about spiritual spirit of praise and song, prayer, um, simplicity, and community. So you're not going to want to miss this five-week series. I get it. we got vacations coming up. Try to stay with us through this series because this series is going to help you and I put disciplines into our life to make us grow closer to God. So as we dive into study this morning, let's go ahead and take that to God this morning. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, God, as we just come in this morning, we ask that the Spirit move. We ask as we dive into your word, as we talk about your word as a whole, may we just be inspired by the God-inspired word. We just lift this up in your name, name your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as, as we talk about this this morning, I want to start off with this. There's classics in life, all right? There's this, when you hear something iconic or you, you hear it, it's like, man, that's a classic. And if you know me, I love movies. And so there's certain movies that they just permeate and they go beyond their genre and they become instant classics or they become classics over time. So I've picked up four movies that I think are just classics. So hit me up with my first classic. Yeah, so all right, guys, Sandlot is a classic movie, all right? If you were raised in my generation, this was a classic movie. Who, who thinks Chase is right? This is classic, all right? Absolutely, all right, good. Next one. Rocky's got to be a classic, all right? Rocky is a great classic. We can talk about an underdog story. We talk about how to train and persevere to get where you want to get at. Rocky is a classic. If you don't know this, Rocky's actually a Pastor Dan favorite, so there's some tidbits for you from Pastor Dan, all right? Next one, what do we got? Old school, Casablanca. It's, it's got to be, it's a classic. Anybody in here like, yep, it's a classic, all right? Next one, last one. Top Gun, all right? By the way, all right, I'm just saying, it's a classic for me, um, 80s movie. I will say, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of nervous that we have another one coming out. I'm nervous. If you don't know that, there's a sequel coming out this year, and I'm worried about it stealing its classic status and just butchering the series, but that's okay. But these are just classic movies. And as we talk about classics in life, there's a classic that we have, hopefully, in each and every one of our homes that we know it's a classic. Because if I talked about classics in literature, you know, I could talk about some of those and what those might be. But if we talk about that, a classic would have to be scripture. It's a classic. It, it doesn't change. So if you're new here this morning or new online and maybe you don't know this whole church thing, I'm going to start off with ground zero here so everybody's on the same page. Let's start off basic. This right here is the Bible. We call it God's Word. Written over two millennia, 66 books or letters contained in this book, written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, God's inspired, inerrant word, and we'll talk about that in a second, but this is the Bible. It is a survivor. What I mean by that is there is no other piece of literature out there that's gone through what Scripture has to maintain intact 
and alive and well today. And if you don't know what that is, it's because of the providence of God. This is what we're talking about this morning, this book. Because it's more than just that. And so as we talk about scripture, the one thing I think we need to know first and foremost is the Bible is one of the main ways God communicates to his people. If we call ourselves believers, this is your textbook. Oh man, really? A textbook? All right, let's change it up then. This is your life story. This is your guide. Or for the men in the room, this is your sword. There we go. A lot better than textbook, right? Calling it a sword? Yeah. This is what we live by. This is one of the ways also that God communicates to us as his people. Actually, 2 Timothy, Paul writes it this. As Paul's writing to Timothy, he says this. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Verse 12 of chapter 3. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. At verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. As Paul's writing some instructions to Timothy, because Timothy's kind of taking up the mantle. Paul's going to be off the scene here pretty soon. And as Paul's writing to him, he says this. Timothy knows this, but Paul still includes it because it's that important. Because if we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed, we need to talk about a principle this morning about the Word of God. And the principle that I want to talk about first is the first conclusion we got to come to is, it is inerrant. What does that word mean? Incapable of being wrong. 30 years ago, we would not have had to have that conversation. I have to have that conversation this morning because along the way, humanity being us, we believe we've just gotten too smart and we don't think that could be true. That scripture cannot be inerrant. There's a problem with that. If we start going down that road that Scripture is not inerrant, then is it the Word of God? Because if I believe that God is all-righteous, all-knowing, all-powerful, if I believe God is everything, all-encompassing, I have to know that this Scripture that he's given us is inerrant. Actually, Wayne Grudem puts it this way. The inerrancy of Scripture means that Scripture in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. If you don't know who that is, he's a professor, a theologian, still alive today. And I say that, and I use that quote for this reason. The original text manuscripts is inerrant. Now, people will point at this and say, oh, hey, there could be some errors in here. 
Here's my answer to them. There is not content errors. There is not content errors in this book. Could there be a verse that's misnomered? Sure. Here's why. Because when God was giving Moses the Pentateuch, he was like, hey, Moses, this is verse 11. Hey, Moses, this is verse 14. Along the way, we have done that. Actually, the early manuscripts actually had it like pretty much in block lettering. We've had to separate some words, add some punctuation. When ancient writers and theologians were going through this, they did not know the mechanics of English that wasn't even on the scene for their thousands of years and all the dumb rules we have in our language. Why we have cool songs like conjunction function, well, you know, what's your function? All right, whatever that song is. Or I before E, except after C, or sounding like way as a neighbor in A, or any holiday in May, or whatever it is. I, I don't, okay, they, they didn't know that. So when we talk about inerrancy of scripture, it's about the original text as the content is inerrant. Of course, there could be something that should be in chapter 3 of something that may have been should be in chapter 4. It wasn't divided that way originally. We did that. But the word of God is whole and it is inerrant. Let me put it this way. Let me just say this. For example, if I, if I called out someone in the audience and I said, okay, cool, Beardman's front row, nice. Okay, uh, let's just assume they have been married for mm, nine years. Cool, all right, we're going with it. So Corey's like, Chase, I, we've been married for nine years. And then Becky's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We've been married nine years, seven months, and 14 days. Both statements are true. One just happened to go into way too much detail that we didn't want to know. And guys, when we do and we read scripture, sometimes we're like, man, we got to get down to all the way to there, and we miss the point. Scripture is inerrant. Psalm 7, the psalmist writes this in Psalm 19, it says this, the, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than, than gold or even fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. perfect now as we talk about this text and we talk about the bible and the spiritual discipline of study here's the thing we have to come to there does need to be some interpretation when we read scripture there has to be interpretation and there are certain ways we can interpret that one's right and one's wrong. Let me pull out two of them. The, those words I'm going to teach you this morning, exegesis and eisegesis. Exegesis means when you read the text, you're drawing the meaning out of the text. What does this text mean? What am I getting out of this? Eisegesis is you read meaning into the text. And how you do that is when you read some of the psalmist writings, and it's like, oh man, if I do this, I'll be rich beyond my wonders. That means I'm getting my bass boat, and that means I'm getting my Ferrari. That's not what that means. That's eisegesis. So let's just cut that out. 
When we read the text, we need to draw meaning out of the text and what it means for our lives. So as we interpret scripture, as we dive into study, there's some dangerous views of how to do this. And let me tell you, if you've heard this phrase or said this phrase, I'm just going to tell you there's a problem. This is what the Bible means to me. That is danger number one. Now, I have to talk about this one because we live in a culture today that everyone gets to have their own truth. It wasn't a joke, but I'm cool with that. All right. I'm serious. We all get to have our own truth. For example, I can look at you and say, hey, the Green Bay Packers are the best team in the NFC North. There's no hands about it. There's no doubts. That is my truth. That is my truth. And I will tell you that 98% of the time, my truth is correct. Now, there's that rare 2% that maybe the Vikings do something, because it won't be the Bears. <laughs> but that's my truth. Church, the problem with that is this. We take that mentality of, oh, I know my truth, and we apply that to Scripture. Of, oh, this is what I want it to mean to me, because this is going to make me feel good. Newsflash. Not everything in life should make you feel good. And if it does, we might have to have another conversation. Because church, sin feels good. If it didn't, we wouldn't do it. So as we talk about this text, and we talk about the scripture, and we talk about how to study and dive into it, if you're using this phrase of, oh, hey, this is what the Bible means to me, 90% of the time we're doing that because we don't want to acknowledge the truth. We don't want to acknowledge what it truly says because, church, there's some hard things in here. There's some hard things in here that tell us, hey, if we're calling ourselves believers, here's the godly lifestyle. Love your enemy. Really, Jesus? Come on. Don't talk about other people, only what is affirming of somebody else. Paul, come on, you know you didn't do that all the time. There's texts in here we don't like, because it's not easy. We didn't get this word of God because we already had life figured out. God was like, man, you guys need no help, so here's a book. <laughs> the next scriptural danger I want to talk about is this. This is what someone told me the Bible say. Okay, let's hit that one for a second. If you come to Great Oaks and you call Great Oaks home, hear me. Your job, being in the audience or online, is not to leave here saying, okay, this is what Pastor Nate or Pastor Dan or Pastor Chase believes, so therefore it's what I believe. That's not okay with any of us. Ever. What's okay with us is this. I know how to read scripture, and here's what I see the text say, and here's what I know it means. And here's why that's so vital. Because that way when you're facing life's tough decisions, or you're facing things in life or situations, you know, hey, here's what I know scripture says. We want everyone to know how to read this book. Thank God a long time ago, a guy by the name of Martin Luther said, hey, no more should pastors and priests be the only ones that have access to the word. Everyone should have access. And thank God we do. Because church, there's probably a lot of pastors today that need to be checked on with how they teach the word. So if this is what someone has told you the Bible has said, 
that's a bad view to have. It's a bad way to study. So college students or high school graduates or even eighth grade graduates, talk to all of you for a second. If you take everything you've learned at either culture shift or breakaway and you're going into college, you're like, oh, hey, here's what Pastor Kevin taught me, so here's what I believe. You are going to get destroyed in philosophy. You are going to get utterly destroyed. You need to know why you believe what you believe. You need to be able to defend it because you need to make sure it's yours. Because let's be honest, we defend our positions way more than other people's. And we need to know why we believe what we believe. The third danger with how we view scripture is the Bible is just a historical telling. If we take that view, then we can no longer call this God's word. Then it's just a history book. We might as well just call it another work of Philo or Josephus. Those are historians and philosophers. And it's, it's no longer carries the weight it does. Yes, there is, there's history in this book. But it's so much more than that. Because when we start thinking, oh, hey, the only reason it says this is because that's only meant for that time period. Nothing in there is meant for us. If we go down that rabbit trail with anything in here, man, that's a snowball effect. And we can start applying that to things that really matter, like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's not okay. How we study matters. This discipline of study matters. And the reason we need to talk about what discipline is, discipline is an activity within our own power to get us somewhere where we can't get presently. That's why it's a discipline. No one said it's easy. I'll be honest. I, when, I, when I was in high school, I loved history and I loved science. Math, that thing can go away forever. Now, I'm not kidding. I will tell you right now, I have not used the Pythagorean theorem since I've been in adulthood. I have not used sine, cosine, and tangent. The fact that I still remember them makes me mad. <laughs> but it's a discipline. It's a reason we study it. Oh, no, hold on. Those things might not exist anymore because I know education has changed. So maybe those don't exist. Yeah, all right? But... Church, it's a discipline. We've got to study into the word. We've got to treat it like we need to own it. Because if we truly believe that Jesus is our Savior, we're going to want to get closer to God. So therefore, we need to start knowing how to interpret Scripture. So I could teach 12 weeks on this. So here's a very big synopsis. I'm going to dive into the rest of the message. Key number one. We've already talked about this. is the inerrant, inspired word of God. The next thing is context. Context matters. Let's hit the first one. Literary context. Who in here loves English? All right, this is your day. This is your day. All right, this is for you. There are different genres in Scripture. What do you mean by that? Oh, there's poetry. There's history. There's prophecy. There's different genres. Knowing what genre you're in matters. Because you need to know, am I in an action film or am I in a rom-com? Because that's going to matter for how it goes. Because no one likes walking that scenario and not knowing what's going on. Literary context also. Knowing what's before the text and after. Stop reading just one verse. Know what's going on before it and after. Because I'm telling you, that's going to make a difference in the text. A huge difference. The next type of context we got to talk about. 
historical context. Who loves history? All right, here's your moment in the sun. Knowing what was going on when this was written is extremely important. If we truly want to get to God's word, sometimes we have to go through the human author and say, hey, what was going on in their time period? What was going on when this was being written? For example, we all know John 3, 16, cool verse, greatest verse ever. We all recite it. We all know it. We learn it very young. But what I love about that verse is when I know the book of John, written around 90 AD, one of the last books written in scripture, what was going on in that time period was the rise of Gnosticism, which is agnostic, meaning people are stopping believing in the power of God, and Christians are being persecuted. John's exiled on Patmos, and Christians are dying for the faith, and all of a sudden, John 3.16 hits and says, hey, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son for me. Well, that's awesome to me, but I can't even imagine what it felt to them. Man, that brings power to that verse. And you're like, man, Chase just nerded out on something. I have no idea what he just said. That's why it's important to study. We should know what the meaning of the text is. Without context, words are meaningless. So, for example, put it in our day and age. If I were to call one of you on stage and say, hey, hand me your cell phone and unlock it. And I'm just going to pick random text messages from strings and read them out loud. Just read them out loud. Not going to say what happened before or what happened after it. I bet you we'd have some pretty awkward conversations. <laughs> Context matters. Who you're talking to matters. Knowing who the audience was, who Paul was writing to, what church he's writing to. Because I'm telling you right now, if I'm writing to my mom, it sounds a whole lot different than I'm writing to a friend. My text message to my mother look a whole lot different than my text messages to Pastor Kevin do. I'm serious. Context matters. Interpretation. So as we study the word, people along the way have gotten smart enough to read scripture for themselves. And what I mean by that is this. People that don't even believe in the Bible, don't even believe in God, say, hey, they've started to know this book. Whether you know it or not, even non-Christians could probably recite John 3.16. So if that's the only verse you have memorized, there's the bar right there. You and the non-Christians all have the same verse memorized. All right? But what I'm saying is all of a sudden people are like, hey, Chase, you can't say it's an error because I have found errors. All right? Hit me. One of my favorites. Well, hey, even the crucifixion of Jesus, you say this is a whole real thing. Some guy went to the cross. He died, rose three days later. You have these four gospel writers, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark says he was crucified at the third hour of the day, and John says he was crucified at the sixth hour of the day. That's in Scripture. They disagree. Scripture's got a problem. Luckily, I, I look at that and I say, well, yeah, you're right, but they're both correct because Mark was writing in Jewish time and John was writing in Roman time. I only know that because I study it. Church, that's why it's important we know how to study. Because if we don't, your faith will be shaken by things that we don't understand. That's why we have to go for understanding. There, there are two ways to study text that I want to talk about this morning. You know, we talk about context, but like if you want practical ways of studying the text, inductive and deductive is the words I use for this. When we study inductively, we're trying to say, all right, what's in the text? I want to pull this from the text and know what it means. Whether you know it or not, you can actually go out and buy an inductive Bible study. If you want to know more about Scripture, go out and buy an inductive study Bible. They have them. 
Then there's deductive. It's where you know that you think something's real and you're putting it to the test of Scripture. Both are okay. But if you're just starting to learn, and you can write this down if you want to study more, inductive Bible study is a great way to go. If you're advanced, then deductive is an okay way. Put it to the test. You think this is true? Look at it with Scripture. Psalm 12 says this, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. The word of God is precious. I don't think we treat it as such. I, I don't. And, and guys, I'm going to say it. I don't do it all the time either. I mean, I'm a pastor, so this book is around me all the time. Actually, there's several copies of it. It's around me all the time. And there's days that I have to go into text. Like i got to study for a sermon. i got to study for this. And there are days that this becomes a textbook. And the last thing I want to do sometimes is open up my devotional life. That's not okay. I get it. But I do know this. When I truly commit my heart to the word and say, I want to know more. I need to see what God is saying to me. Man, that brings some relief. That brings some understanding. We can talk about context and methods all day long. Methods matter. But our hearts matter most. When you read scripture, when I read scripture, there's three big attributes that we need to make sure we take account of. I call them head, heart, and hands, all right? Good way to remember it. Head, heart, and hands, all right? When you read scripture, what am I getting out of this cognitively? What, what am I learning? The next thing is, hey, how is this affecting me? What does this make me want to change? And the third thing is, what do I want to do with this? What do I want to go out and do because of the text and what it tells me? Methods matter, but our hearts matter most. Some of us in here think that, oh, hey, we got nothing else to learn. Chase, I've been reading this book for a long time. I've been in junior church programs, kids town programs all my life. I've been teaching. I, I know this book. Okay, let me speak to that for a second. That's awesome if you think you do. But I'm telling you right now as a pastor, I don't know it. There's more I can learn every single day. There's more I'm trying to learn every single day. Teachability matters. Being willing to learn more about scripture matters. As we talk about the spiritual discipline of study, the reason we started with study, because as we get ready to go into prayer and we talk about praise and worship, this is where you really get to know God. One of the things as a pastor I, I hear a lot is, man, I just wish when I prayed God would talk to me. And some people I've met with said, Chase, I prayed about this, I prayed about this, I don't get any answers. And I, and I, I ask, can I, can I ask what you're praying for? And they say A, B, or C, and I respond with this. Maybe God's not answering you right now because the answer's already been given in the text. Sometimes we just expect God to repeat himself. Parents, how often do you like doing that? Yeah, kids, you can look at mom and dad and be like, yeah. Sometimes our answered prayers are right here. But let's be honest, maybe we're just too lazy to look. I get it. I am sometimes. That's not okay. Then there's another case. Maybe you've been a Christian all your life. You're like, man, I'm not reading anymore because every time I read this, something changes. And it's hard. And it's hard to deal with. 
James, and the book of James, I absolutely love it because the book of James is one of those texts in Scripture where you really don't have to study too hard to know what James is saying. James is kind of like me. He says it how it is, and he punches people in the face with it. I love it. Here we go. Starting chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive the meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away. And at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Let's sum that up. Let's sum it up. It's great to know the word. Are you doing it? Am I doing it? Am I trying to change? Am I trying to be slow to speak? Because I'll put that one out first because that's Pastor Chase's problem. So I'll start with that one. Am I actually being slow to speak and being quick to listen? Maybe for some of you here, am I actually trying to slow my anger? Am I trying not to lose my temper so much? How we work on those. We study the word. We dive in and realize that God has given us this help in our life to guide us. And the Holy Spirit moves the pages. And maybe we don't like to study because it's hard because we know that we see it and we feel awful for not changing. I get that. A Danish philosopher by the name of Soren Kierkegaard writes it this way. It quotes this. The Bible is very easy to understand. But we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obligated to act accordingly. Man, that's truth. I don't agree with nearly everything this man writes, but man, that's, that's truth. Maybe sometimes we're scared to read more because we know that once we do, something's got to change. Because where we're at in our faith is we believe and we read that, hey, Jesus rose from the dead. I got that. I feel good. The Bible is love. I'm good with where, I'm good with where it's at right now. I'll put it on the kitchen table. If I'm super awesome, I'll take it to church every Sunday morning, and that's it. Jesus saved me. I'm good with that. I like this, I like this kind of faith. Man, there's so much more. There's so much more that God wants to say to your marriage. There's so much more that God wants to say to your friendships. There's so much more that God's saying, hey, if you just pick this up, you can stop dealing with the mess of life. We talk about Jesus being the answer all the time here at Great Oaks. That, man, if we want to have hope in our community, it's through the gospel, it's through Jesus. Church, the gospel isn't here. The gospel is in your actions as you are doers of the word. This inerrant word of God that survived millennia, that was compiled for us to know that God loves us. 
But not only does God loves us, but he says, hey, here's a way to live that's going to make your life a little bit easier and fulfilling. So here's some scripture study tips from Pastor Chase. Number one, pray. Pray. Before you sit down and read, just pray, hey, God, just let the text give me something. There are times that, man, I'm struggling in life that I'm like, all right, God, <laughs> boom. What's it say? If it's Deuteronomy, I do it again. Whatever. All right? If that's, that's okay to start that way. There's nothing wrong with starting that way. If you're a super organized person that has to have structure for everything in your life, okay, I can understand you, but that's all right. We'll get you a Bible study guide. We'll get you a way to read through the Bible in a year. That doesn't have you walking through the Pentateuch all at once, which is the first five books of the Bible. It actually has you starting in Matthew. So you're like, man, I understand this a little bit. I'm diving into this. But pray before we go into the Word. The next thing, listen humbly. Listen humbly. Be willing to be teachable. Third one, and this one I'm going to say I want you to star it, know it, own it, love it. It's one of mine that I find most important. It's not the most important on this list, but it's one of the ones that I say is just critical. Don't assume. Don't walk into your Bible study and scripture reading and being like, man, here's what the church taught me 70 years ago, so I know it has to be true. Read the word of God. Too many times we walk into our scripture and saying, okay, here's my beliefs and scripture better conform. No. Here's the scripture and here's why I believe what I believe. Church, if I, as I've studied more, man, I've changed my position on certain things. Yes, the resurrection doesn't change. Creation doesn't change. Jesus coming back doesn't change. But guess what? After reading scripture, how I think Jesus comes back, I have a different view on that after reading scripture. Don't assume. Next one, read and reread. And as you do that, start to memorize. Start to memorize. And you might be like, well, man, memorization? Ugh, that's hard. Well, yeah, you're right. It's easier as a kid, give you that. But the reason we need to do it is if we truly think we should carry out the word of God daily, how are we going to know if we're carrying out if we don't have it memorized? We're committed to memory and written on our hearts. Ask questions. Ask questions. For some reason, we thought in the church at some point that it's not okay to ask questions about Scripture. Totally okay. When you dive into Acts chapter 1, ask yourself, who's writing this book? Who's the human author? That's okay to ask that, because it matters. What time period is this in? Who's this guy named Theophilus? I can barely pronounce his name. Whatever, right? That's fine. You know, ask those questions, even the ones you can answer. And then as you study, try to answer them. It's a cool way. To study the word and investigate. Next, look for connections. Look for connections. If you read something in the Bible and it disagrees with something else scripture says, you might have an interpretation problem. So look for those connections. Say, hey, what's real here? Am I reading this in context? Am I reading what's before and what's after? Okay. Look for those connections. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call them synoptic gospels. Synoptic meaning more same. So when you read about a parable, another gospel writer probably has the same one. See what his position was on it and what he said about it. Lastly, use resources. I saved this one for last. Don't start with this. 
Use Blue Letter Bible. Use commentaries. Use your pastor. We will never have a complaint if you email one of us and say, hey, I read this scripture and I want to know what you think it means. Can I tell you, I will take that email any day over the week that, man, I'm not reading the word and I blew up my life. I love having those conversations. Like, hey, what's this say? What does 1 Timothy really mean here? What does Acts really mean here? Those are cool things to talk about. Use those resources. There's just some tips for you. So, as we dive into the rest of our study, the next four weeks, about disciplines. Here's your homework. Yeah, homework. Ask yourself the question on the way home. Ask your spouse on the way home. Ask your kids. Is there something in here that you haven't read lately? So for those of you that have been a Christian a long time and say, hey, man, what's a book that I haven't read recently? I'll give you a word bank to help you out real quick. Probably going to start with like Habakkuk or Nahum. Because when's the last time you read those? All right, so that's for like, uh, you call yourself Christians for a long time. For those of you that might be like, hey, I'm a little bit newer believer. Biggest piece of advice to give to you, Philippians and James. Great reads. Easier to go through. Practical living advice. Love those books. Has Jesus in Philippians. I mean, you see Jesus. You see the salvation story. Then read one of the Gospels. If you want help doing that, see us at Connection Central. Talk to one of our pastors on staff. So, as you have your homework and you go to look at it and do it, be disciplined about it. Set a time daily that you're going to read. Have an accountability partner that you're going to talk to about it. Say, hey, here's what I'm reading in the Word right now. Church, here's why this matters. Because as we look at a culture that's in where it's at right now, we need to know the Word of God. Because a lot of people will say the Word of God says something, and it doesn't. A lot of people will use the Word of God and wound people with it. That's not the purpose of Scripture. The purpose of Scripture is to reconcile and bring people to wholeness with Christ. Getting back to the garden where things are perfect. That comes through Jesus. But we got to know that. It means we got to know the word. Because in our society today, there's a lot of repair that needs to happen. And this is your manual. Let's learn it. Let's know it. Let's love it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we're just so glad we could be here this morning just talking about studying your word. God, as we talk about this, the text that is so valuable and so important to us, may we truly know that we have this so we can be fully equipped to handle life and to handle culture and to spread the gospel. Because the mission that we have, which is the Great Commission, is to go out and make disciples of all nations. And we can do that knowing that we have the word to be able to teach, reproof, correct, and encourage. May we truly do that this morning and throughout the rest of our lives as believers. For those of us in the room or online that maybe, you know what, we're not owning this yet. I don't know if I really believe this is real yet. That's okay. Give it a chance. May we open the word once or twice and just see what God wants to speak to us. Because may we truly see that God says, hey, you are loved. And I've sent you my son to make you whole. And John 3, 17 tells us he just didn't send his son. He didn't send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world where we're at. Because we need saved. And we're so thankful for that gift we have of God. We pray this all in your name and the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.